Right, it is going to be different tonight, and uh, you're at tables because not only will you need them for the food, but because we're going to do things uh, at different points. And I'm going to give you two talks, but I promise that they will all be uh, quite short. So it's Lent, and in Lent it's a time to become spiritually healthy and strong. It's sometimes called the springtime of the soul. It's not a time to be miserable, it's a time to really come close to God and let God be at work in your life to make you and you can't say the word fit these days because it has different connotations with young people. So I'm just going to say strong and healthy, okay? Because I'm of that age. Anyway, as you know, I have made great efforts since last year to get fit. Now, I am a humble man and I'm quite modest. So I have no intention of taking my clothes off in front of you to show you how successful I've been. But a photograph was taken earlier. That was taken this morning, just before breakfast. It took a little while, but once I got the angle right, we were absolutely fine. So getting fit for me has been a bit of a challenge, but I already uh, feel the benefits of it. And the first thing I want you to do on your tables is for one minute, discuss the last time you made any effort to get fit and what you did to improve your health and energy. Go. Okay, folks, that'll do. Spare you the embarrassment. Now, if you were honest with one another, uh, you will have worked out that getting fit or healthy or strong is hard work. And similarly, uh, a healthy relationship with God requires from us some effort. And the question is, how much in this Lent are we willing to put into getting strong and healthy as Christians? That's why James read the scripture from 1 Timothy 4. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training, as I know, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, we can kind of go at this really casually and chilled out and maybe say the odd prayer. Maybe we can sort of do a little bit more worship in Lent. But if we're really going to get strong then we need a rigorous workout spiritually. And Lent is a time to say, I've been mucking around. I'm getting sloppy and fat as a Christian. And I need actually to become healthy and strong once more. So that in the words of Hebrews 12, we can run with perseverance. Uh, the race marked out for us. We need to be in tip-top shape as Christians. And Lent is a time when we do that. So is Advent. But how do we do it? And I've just got five very, very brief points. And the first thing to say to you is you need to be part of a team that encourages you. Uh, people divide roughly into two groups. There are people who are drains and there are people who are radiators. The drains are the people who, when you're in their company, wear you down and make you feel low and miserable. And the radiators have a kind of passion and warmth about them that gives you a sense that says, yes, let's go for it. So find people who encourage you to grow. Be part of a team, be part of a group, but don't let the group that just want to drain everything away be the things that set the temperature or the level for your Christian life. So step forward with others and don't try and be a Christian on your own. Secondly, Step out of your comfort zone. If our entire world is with people who just make us feel cool and comfortable, if it's all a bit easy, then we're never going to get challenged. 
If we spend our time only with Christians, we're never going to exercise that capacity to be light and salt in God's world. Only when we're with people who are different to us can we shine as God's light. And one of the ways that we're going to need to learn as a church to overcome fear of stepping out in faith is to pray not for help, but for courage. To pray for courage from God to do things that are beyond our comfort zone. To put Jesus higher up our list than our embarrassment would be a great thing to accomplish this Lent. In terms of when you go to work or school or college this week, if you were to think Jesus was more important than whether or not you feel embarrassed, you might try to get alongside someone who needs help or encouragement or for whom you could share your faith. And the next one is to warm up your faith muscles. To be on fire for God involves stoking our spirit with the fuel of three things I'm going to give you. could give you others. Daily prayer, a deeper knowledge and engagement with Scripture, and generous giving. So I want to say during Lent to get fit, ask God to wrap you in zeal as if in a cloak, Isaiah 59, and to give you love that burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. You know, somebody wrote down uh, just last week sometime, they wrote down about Aldridge that we're steady, we're very steady, but we're not dynamic. Let me read those scriptures again. Ask God to wrap you in zeal as in a cloak. And to give you love that burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. What's that going to look like in YF? What's it going to look like in your small group? What's it going to look like in our worship week on week? And then the next thing is let's get moving. Vibrant faith does not sit in a classroom. It doesn't expect God to turn up. And for us to have to do nothing. It happens when we live out of love for Christ. James tells us, don't merely listen to the word, what the preacher's saying. Do what God's word says. And somewhere in our lives, there's a person who is hungry and needs to eat. Or thirsty and in need of a drink. There is a stranger Christ wants you to share their life with. A sick person to serve or a prisoner to visit, Matthew 25. And that's about vision with legs. And I actually said to the congregation today, people write things down here quite a lot. And people sometimes say, it's no good having a text about loving your neighbor as yourself, unless somebody does it. It's no good writing down about living under God's reign, worshiping wholeheartedly, um, and uh, growing whole life disciples and reaching out all over the world. Somebody says, they're just words on a page. And I think they think that someday, maybe we'll have a course or a program that will somehow make it all happen. It won't. You before God, every one of you, is what will make it happen. Our vision will have legs. Our faith will have legs. We'll get moving when we inhabit the vision that God has given us. And that's really very important. And then finally, I guess there's at least a little group of people here who've experienced some kind of setback and challenge to your faith recently. Lent is a time 
for starting afresh. Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. And do you know what happened? God picked him up, set him on a new road, and made him one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. You can drop a clangor as a Christian. You can make a mess of your life. You can have a bad start at something. And you can turn out to be the best person in that situation that God wants to use. It says in Proverbs, For though a righteous person falls seven times, he rises again. And so I want to end this little talk by saying, with Christ beside us, there is no such thing as failure. Or at least I should say this, there's no such thing as failure needing to be the last word. So on your tables, with the help of paper, you can scribble all over them, especially if you don't know what to say. What does being spiritually fit or healthy look like or involve? What must you do to become spiritually healthy? And what helps? Now, we're not looking for an essay in this. I'm just looking for you to capture down there the things you think will begin to help people on your table address those questions. So just pile onto the paper your immediate thoughts and see what you come up with. Let's go. We're going to do a short quiz now. Uh, I'll bring about three sheets onto each pe- into each table. And um, so there are, in, these, in this quiz, there are stupid answers, there are good answers, there are hideous answers, and there are the right answers. Okay? And it's not in any way even, uh, as you look at them, what they're about. But uh, I'll put three or four copies on each table. You can do it in pairs. We're not trying to catch anybody out. But there are some very silly questions here. Are any of them correct? Anybody like to come at that again? Is there any of them correct? Sure? Okay, then. You, You are correct. Our budgeted APC for 2017 is which of those four figures? Who thinks it's the first one? The second one? The third one? The fourth one? It is the second one, all but a few pennies. Very good. The second one. Uh, Right, of the next slot there. One, two, three, four, five... The Bible tells us that if we're Christians, we should give away all our money. Correct or false? I knew I dropped a clangor. Uh, the Bible tells us that we should save hard and look after our family as a first priority. The Bible teaches us to set a regular sum of money to give away to support ministry, mission, and the poor. True. Jesus doesn't think very much of rich people. False. Somebody said true. It's false. Um, uh, the Bible teaches that only working adults, YF, that only working adults are meant to be generous. False. <laughs> okay. Right, last year, 86 members or households of our congregation gave the following sums as part of their regular income. Is it 186,000, 180, 39, or 134? Put your hand up if it's the first one. Nice round figure. Second one. Third one, fourth one. It is, in fact, the fourth one. Now, 
I don't worry about statistics, but the significance of that one is we have a big congregation here. And if 86 households are given that much giving, bit of an issue. Right, the last one, multiple choice question. Tithing is traditional folk dance. Who thinks it's that? Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah. I'm not taught to scouts and guides. A special coin. Come on, we're getting really close now. A special coin mentioned in the Bible. A part of someone's income given away as an act of worship. Yeah, okay, that's it. A tithe is a tenth. And certainly in the Old Testament, a tithe was the basic sum that people were to give away, to put aside. And some of us believe that even though the New Testament doesn't specify that, we are under greater grace, the tithe remains the minimum, rather than something that's now obsolete. Okay. All right, then. Well done. So what I'm going to do now is give a very short talk, a mini version of something I did this morning, a bit different anyway, uh, and uh, then give you a leaflet to take away. And uh, then when we've done that, Maxine will introduce our final song and she'll say a prayer for us after our offerings are received. Okay. Some of us are praying for a breakthrough at Aldridge Parish Church on many levels. We're praying for a breakthrough spiritually, that more and more of the congregation will become spiritually strong, healthy, and utterly committed to Jesus Christ. That's our longing for a breakthrough. Some of us have longed for a very long time that whilst we talk about the Holy Spirit, we would experience a greater fullness of the reality of the Holy Spirit, not only in our worship, but in our daily lives and ministry. Some of us are longing that we would have a new season of fruitfulness in bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And some of us are longing and praying that instead of a very large proportion of our income being given by a smallish proportion of the congregation, that there would be a breakthrough of generosity and that for the first time in our history, the majority would practice systematic giving in a way that released us to whole new ways of generosity and new ways of ministry. That is some breakthrough. In the play Les Mis, Victor Hugo's great novel, uh, which was turned into both a play or a musical, of course, and a film, uh, there's a famous scene that takes place between Jean Valjean, the guy on the screen, the bishop and the magistrate. And Gilles Valjean is, is befriended uh, and given lodging by the bishop. And later on, he steals the bishop's precious, valuable candlesticks, hence the picture on the screen. The bishop reports the theft and a magistrate is brought in and questions Jean Valjean in the bishop's presence. And as the scene unfolds, it's, obviously, it's obvious that this seedy-looking character is heading for prison. And surprisingly, the bishop retracts his charges and offers an excuse over what happened to the candlesticks. Jean Valjean is puzzled. What on earth's going on? And when he and the bishop are eventually alone, he asks, why did you do that? You know I pinched them in the first place. And the bishop replies, life, life is forgiving. That's the principle 
behind generous living. And today I've been speaking about living and giving generously. There's a passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but I preached it at a length this morning. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he shares basic components of what it is to grow and become spiritually strong and fit as a Christian and as a church. And amongst them, he talks about this particular incident, this great inspiring story uh, that circulated through the early church. One church found itself in immense need and another a poor church, people with very limited resources, responded with staggering generosity. And it says in 2 Corinthians 8, they pleaded with the apostle for the opportunity to be generous out of their limited resources to this other church in need. The church in Macedonia became a word of great need and responded with great generosity. Generosity for a Christian is not a seasonal act, but it's a way of life. We're talking here not about how much money we put in the collection. We're talking here about a generosity of lifestyle. And frankly, at APC, we need generosity to become infectious so that a greater proportion of our congregation break the patterns of history and we're just blown away by the level of giving from our congregation. You see, back in the scriptures, God had worked in the lives of the Christians of Macedonia and they'd responded firstly, it says, to the Lord and then to the need that they saw. And so I want to say that real need needs a tangible response. In the case of the Macedonians, it was about giving generously to support the members of, a, of us poor church. Now, let me be absolutely straight with you. The last thing you can say about Aldridge Parish Church is that it's poor. But its extensive ministries are costly to both sustain and to develop. Our budget, just to balance the books this year, is £278,000. £278,795, And based on last year's giving, fill our treasure over there. I have to say, I've been ordained nearly 40 years. He is the most chilled out treasure I've ever come across. And he always reassures us every year that it'll all be all right. And we always have a bit of a deficit, he says. And by the end of the year, we haven't got a deficit. We've, we've remained in the black now for five or six years. And just before I became your rector, there had been money issues for a long time. It's nothing to do with me becoming the rector. The church decided we need a clean break, a fresh start, and those debts were dealt with, and we've never been in the red in these last five years. But to illustrate the need to develop giving across the congregation, I've already said it. In 2016, 86 givers or households gave to our general funds some £134,000 of our income. That's nearly 50% of our budget. A small number had to adjust their giving. A small number of people had to adjust their giving this last year. And as a consequence of their adjustment, for whatever reason, personal or otherwise, our income dropped by £15,000. We still ended the year in the black, for which we are very thankful. But perhaps that explains why at Aldridge Parish Church, the council have said, John, we've kept off talking much about giving, apart from the church centre, 
uh, and it's time to talk about giving generously for the regular needs of the church right across our congregation. But our longing, and we've been longing for this as a council for two or three years now, is to move beyond balancing the books, which we have done. Our longing is to have what you might call a vision-led vision budget where we aspire to take on uh, ministries in the future just because the generosity of God's people has anticipated something and given more than our immediate need. So it's not been fully agreed, but last year I got approval to have a half-time worship pastor at APC. And we've got lots and lots of musical talent in our church, but we desperately need all of that talent to be brought together to build a real culture of worship so that we may worship wholeheartedly and consistently. And because we've done a staffing review right across the parish, I thought it's not fair if I say, but we're going to get our worship pastor. So we held back. But the approval's already been given. When this staffing review happened, it was suggested that in the future we might like to appoint an operations manager, probably not full-time, but certainly a significant number of hours in a week, who wouldn't just be an administrator, but would really help the parish to get itself sorted so that ministries were released, well-managed, and the church functioned really well. I'm guessing, but I reckon it's a good guess, that that could cost us about 40 grand. You, as a congregation, after our day of prayer, said, we really want this next year and the year after to move ahead in reaching out beyond our present congregation, to really become much more mission-shaped. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to make an appointment, but you could easily spend five or £10,000 over a period of time just releasing new capacity for ministries in that way. I've just already suggested fifty grand that we haven't got. If 250 people were to give £200 a year extra, we'd have that money. If we met our budget for this year and 250 people, which is not the entire adult congregation at all, it's at least 100 short of that. Now, some wouldn't be able to afford that. Some would be able to afford more than that. Because what the Bible teaches is you give a proportionary income to God's work. And we would be, for the first time in our history, spreading the load of giving in a way that is unknown in our church's past. Now, I want to explain what I'm saying there. Later on in June, we're going to have a service in here to thank God for the completion of this project, which has gone on for decades and we have been privileged to be those who've seen it happen. And in May of this year, the entire bill of 1.4 million will have been cleared. And we'll have set aside a tithe of 80,000 for that which comes from direct giving to give away to bless others. That's a great achievement. It was a very special project. So nobody's saying that God's people have been mean. But what I am saying, is that we've never got to the point where our giving is so spread across our congregation that we all, as those who are spiritually fit, embrace the privilege, the joy, and the challenge of giving. 
and I want to see a spiritual breakthrough. I do want to say to you that it says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, God delights in a cheerful giver. And as I'm stood in front of you now, you're not looking very cheerful. This is a really special time. And I'm speaking of generosity that's more than money. So I'll tell you a story with which I end. A young minister pastoring a church in Birmingham preached once a month at a nursing home. The lay leader of the worship service was a resident. In his younger days, Jim Gleason, it wasn't his real name, had been a professional musician for some great big bands. An exuberant, joyful Christian now in his 80s, Jim still played his trombone very loudly. And they liked it that he played it very loudly because they were all stone deaf. Jim's joy was infectious. It flowed out onto all those around him. And when asked why he continued to play, Jim commented like this. When I came to the Lord, the trombone came to. When I gave my life to Christ, my music, love of music was transformed into something I offered to God. Jim lived a joyful life. It showed in the fact that he was fully alive and generous in every way, and not just for God, but with and for others. And life for Jim was in the giving. And his testimony was that in coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Christ changed his approach to life. His life was offered back to God who had given his son for us. And with Jim's life came generosity and warmth toward other human beings. It does, of course, involve money. It does, of course, involve how we live in God's world. And in some of those prayers that Maxine offered, she was praying for situations where the most bitter attitudes to other members of the human family have led to deep conflict. And instead of generosity and respect for those who are of a different ethnic mix or of a different faith, there are parts of the world where atrocities, I'm afraid to imagine, are done. And if Christ has touched our lives, he will touch our wallets, he will touch our relationships with other people. And through us, he will touch the world. So living generously requires abundant love. It starts with God's love to us and shows in our love for God. Love for neighbor and love for God's work. Love that flows over into generous, open-handed giving of time, money, hospitality, abilities, and our very selves. I wanted to do tonight differently. One, because for a while we had no musicians and then everybody said we'd have it. I wanted to do it differently because I wanted to speak to the young people. Differently to how I spoke to the adults this morning. And I want to say I don't know how this happened, but for the teenagers I'll say this. I became a Christian aged 16. And I remember by the time I was 20 being faced with a challenge. I gave away the last of my money which was going to get me home from college. And I did it out of obedience because I'd started tithing a couple of years before. So at some time, round about the age of 18, and granted I was working at that age, I'd sorted out the fact that generosity and giving out of one's income is not for wealthy adults. It's for everyone who loves the Lord Jesus. So there's a challenge for us all. 250 plus. I'm going to pray for us now. I'm going to ask you to stand 
And just let's give ourselves quietly to the Lord and I'll lead us in a prayer. Father God, we crave for a spiritual breakthrough in our lives. We crave for the love and life of Jesus to touch us very deeply, for the Spirit to come as we gather and as we disperse. Spirit of God, come and renew your people. Renew us in every part of our life, not just when we gather for worship, but when we're out tomorrow, when we're seeking to be witnesses for Christ, when we're seeking to be fit and healthy as Christians in the greatest of challenges. Resource us, we pray, as a church, not simply to meet our needs and to be generous to others, but to be able to expand our ministries, that we as a church, living under your reign, may see the kingdom come in greater measure. In Christ's name we ask it.